0: Welcome to The Officials Podcast, the show where we talk about umpiring and refereeing in sport. We bring you unique perspectives, interesting guests, and topical conversations. Our aim is to help individuals, groups, and teams across sport and industry share and collaborate on ideas and insights. We invite you to follow our journey. Get involved through Facebook, The Officials Podcast,
1: Welcome to Umpire Referee, the official's podcast, a show where we talk about umpiring and refereeing across all sports. I am your host, Chris Donlan, and joining me in the umpire's room are two of the very best in their respective fields, the first female AFL grand final goal umpire, Chelsea Roffey.
0: Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Chelsea, and the highly decorated multiple-time grand final and All-Australian field umpire, Matt Stevik. G'day, Matt. Donners, Chelsea. how are we going? You. Excellent. Before we go into our topic today around integrity, a reminder, you can get involved in the conversation by sending us a question or comment through our Facebook page, The Officials Podcast. We'll pick a question from our Facebook page and answer it here. And while you're there, please like and share our page. And don't forget to rate this podcast on the platform you download or stream your podcasts from. All right, guys, I'm really excited to uh, unpack our topic today around integrity. Sports has never been exposed to greater scrutiny from the public or the media. Add to that the proliferation of sports gambling, the integrity of sporting contests is constantly being challenged. Doping, corruption and sports betting are continually attacking the fairness, fun, respect and sportsmanship of the sporting contest. We're extremely lucky to have with us today Gerard Ryan to talk to us about the implications of these issues for sports and importantly, officials. So I'll just introduce Gerard before we hear from Gerard. Jerry spent 44 years in policing. He was the Detective Superintendent of the Crime Command of the Victoria Police. Here he led investigations into serious organised crime, terrorism and corruption. In 2013, he was the Senior Investigating Officer for Operation Starling, which investigated the match-fixing syndicate involving the Southern Stars in the Victorian Premier League soccer, and we may unpack this case a little bit later. In 2014, Jerry joined the AFL as the Senior Investigator at the newly formed AFL Integrity Unit, where he conducted investigations into integrity-related aspects at the AFL. He has a deep understanding of organised crime, corruption, drugs and betting in sport. All these make him highly qualified to talk about integrity in sport and implications for officials. If you read Jerry's LinkedIn profile, as I have, it says, Retired, 23rd of the 12th, 2016 but he still helps sporting organisations tackle an increasing problem around integrity. So Jerry, welcome to the umpire's room, a slightly different setup to the one you regularly visited on game days as your role as senior AFL investigator of the integrity unit. But my first question is, what was Christmas Eve 2016 like?
2: Uh Well actually it was a a very fantastic time because I was able to have time with my family which in policing uh, you very rarely got the opportunity but here was a a great opportunity to spend with with my uh, family and friends throughout the whole Christmas period uh, enjoying uh, the first day of freedom, freedom where I thought I'd never work again but it was short lived uh, because I came back to consult to the AFL and to other sporting codes.
1: 44 years in the police force. And where'd you start?
2: Yeah, I had a wonderful 44 years. I uh, started as a young policeman uh, coming from the country to uh, pound the beat in, uh, in Russell Street. Uh, I was lucky enough to spend five years as a young policeman in Echuca, uh learning the trades of uh, being uh, a, a detective because I uh, had two great mentors in Echuca, not that I knew that uh, what a mentor was in those days. But particularly uh, a particular person, James Patrick Barrett, detective sergeant, taught me a lot on how to be a detective, how to do crime scenes and how to uh, speak to people and in- interview them. Uh, I came and became a detective in uh, 1978, uh, worked in some of the squads, uh, Carlton CIB, Nong CIB before I took promotion to uh, a sergeant at Russell Street. I had five wonderful years there where I started to learn to become a mentor and passing my knowledge and experience on to young police members coming into Victoria Police. I was there during the Russell Street bombing. Uh, I was in the building when, when the bomb went off and uh, oh, wow. worked on the uh, issues around around that to uh, going back to becoming a detective, uh, worked on uh, organised crime, uh, particularly the mafia and uh, corruption. I uh, then became a, um, a Detective Inspector at uh, the Professional Standards Command, as n- which is now known as, uh, and I set up their uh, uh, telephone in- intercept uh, listening device area and also their surveillance uh, area and their intelligence a- area. Then uh, I became uh, invited over to Crime to Command by Simon Overland, who was mm-hmm. the Deputy Commissioner of Victoria Police at that time to work on the organised crime squad. Which, which I did, uh, and then I got the position of uh, becoming in charge of the uh, Armed Crime Task Force after the Armed Defender Squad was d- disbanded. I ran that for 18 months, uh, which became quite successful. Mm-hmm. Then a uh, short time after that, I was promoted to... Um, the detective superintendent of crime where I had uh, a number of task forces under me and I set Victoria Police on the journey to work around the world in partnership with the Australian Federal Police and other law enforcement agencies. I was lucky enough to work with uh, uh, agencies such as the FBI, the DEA, MI5, MI6, uh, particularly a lot in China, uh, in other parts of Asia and, and in Europe. So that was fantastic uh, and I set up our border task forces with the Australian Federal Police and Customs and the way we uh, police our our borders. I was lucky enough to uh, come across to the uh, AFL just on four years ago and it was a fantastic transition into uh, a great organisation that enabled me to come with Tony Keane to uh, really set up the Integrity Department the, the way it is today. Uh, to also take on the security and emergency management to look after the, the, the public that comes to the RFL games, to uh, the umpires and the players and everyone else inv- involved in the game, mm-hmm. which I think is very important.
1: You're clearly seriously qualified to talk about this this topic and you've got obviously got a passion for sport as well through your connection through the Soundingham Football Club which I know about and so today we really want to understand and unpack this issue around integrity and at the end of it give some sort of insight for even young officials on how they might handle certain approaches but we'll certainly get to that but before we do Jerry can you tell us how important is integrity for sports and for officials?
2: Without integrity, uh, you're nowhere. So you've, you've lost your, your uh, sporting code uh, as individuals and a, a, as an organisation. So integrity is so important to us all. And as, as young ones, uh, we were lucky enough, some of us, to have great parents that gave us great values, behaviours and beliefs. And that, that's so important to follow through. And that as an organisation, that if you don't have those strong values, behaviours and beliefs, then you lose your integrity of the game. And you can see what happens around the world if someone uh, does something to interfere with that integrity. Recently we just saw Cricket Australia go go through that that journey. But I also saw overseas years ago that what organised crime was doing to the integrity of sport. And when a sporting code loses uh, their identity in the integrity space, people stop going people stop uh, watching it on television so games are being played with no star uh, no spectators uh, no one turning on the television so you lose your sponsors and all
1: so Jerry I mentioned in the in your bio about your involvement in the uh, Victorian Premier League soccer and I think that's a really good example could you perhaps take us through that and how that unfolded from how you found out to how you actually prosecuted the people involved? Can I just go back
2: and say that uh, when I saw what uh, organised crime was doing to sport, I made an approach to my then boss, who's now now the Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police, to say this is what I'm seeing overseas. And uh, he made an approach to the Victorian government and got integrity in sport laws. Victoria, one of the first states, one of the first countries in the world to get integrity in sport laws. So when we were actually uh, attacked by a person by the name of Wilson Raj Perrimal on uh, the Southern Stars, which is in the Premier Soccer League here in Victoria. We had the, not only the technology, but we had the laws to be able to do certain things. And those certain things were to listen to what the players were saying on the ground. So we had the uh, goalposts, we had areas in the ground all uh, where we could listen to what everyone was saying on the, on the ground. You bugged them. We bugged them. Yep. Wilson Raj Perumal brought in a coordinator who was a, a Malaysian, a Singaporean, and he brought in eight professional players from the UK. And they played in the, in the uh, Premier League. They played something like 21 games. The whole idea was for them not to win games, except on one occasion. Mm-hmm. And in those 21 games, they uh, lost... Sixteen of the games and drew five of the games, and on one occasion they won. The only game they won, which was the the uh, league ladder ladder team, and they beat by five five goals. How are they able to do that? And how does this get involved with uh, match fixing? Mm-hmm. The match fixing is not about who wins the game. It is about certain things happening at certain times, and sometimes it is about winning the game, which they did uh, to show that. Uh, When a bottom side can beat a top side, uh, there was a lot of money there. But what they were doing was that certain goals had to be scored at certain times. And that enabled the match fixers to bet around the world on certain goals being scored against the Southern Stars. And on one occasion, they were playing a side that couldn't couldn't score. And the goalkeeper says to the uh, coordinator off the field, he says to him, because the coordinator's about giving him a bit of a smack to say they need to get five goals in this period of time and the goalkeeper comes back and says, uh, (coughs) we're even helping them, they're that bloody useless, they can't even (laughs) score a goal themselves. So uh, that's how um, open they were to corruption. Now, when when it actually all finished and we arrested these people, I had to sit down with the eight players and the coach involved and say, you'll never play a game or be involved in a game of sport anywhere around the, around the world. And that's what these players didn't understand. They thought they were being a paid holiday. They knew they were doing something wrong, something illegal, but didn't realise the ramifications as players. They thought they were out here on a journey, they, uh, a holiday. Uh, unfortunately, they paid a massive penalty.
3: So Jerry, were those penalties handed down as, as a result of those integrity laws that have been brought in recently?
2: It was certainly uh, an issue that uh, in soccer, that if this happened, uh, then the Soccer Federation stopped them from playing anywhere in the world. So as in the AFL system, everyone is registered in the AFL system. So the AFL are able to say whether you can or you cannot play. And that means they're all level of uh, sport in uh, the AFL system. So it doesn't matter whether you're playing the AFL, VFL or any, any community leagues, that if you do something wrong and you're barred, you're barred for the rest of your life Any anywhere the, the game mm. is actually played.
1: So you've mentioned there, you know, global issues. So how big is the issue? Can we size it? And what sports are at most risk of corruption?
2: Well, I think all sports are a, a risk of corruption because we've got betting all around the world, and it's live, live betting. Wilson Raj Perimal, who was the ringleader, he first got the idea of this when he was at a kid's soccer game and that's how he could see that he could make money out of it he could uh, influence the outcome of the game and then went on to corrupt over 700 games around the world he corrupted world cup referees he was a person that able to corrupt the media because they were playing ghost games and ghost games are where they were being uh, scores were given on the media throughout the world but the game wasn't being played Mm. and they'd watch and see where the money was and work out who would win and who would lose for them to make the most money. So not only were players and officials being corrupted, but the media themselves were, were being corrupted.
1: And so given that, then how, do you, how does the relationships work with other organisations outside our borders? I assume you need to have strong relationships?
2: Well, this, this is where law enforcement and uh, all sporting codes need to have a great working relationship partner, partnership. And it's not only with uh in here in australia with the uh, state police and the federal police but it's also other agencies and i mentioned before working with the fbi and the dea and the national crime authority in the uk how do you help and support one another and working with uh, sporting agencies to solve problems
0: you just mentioned organized crime i'm sure the listeners are really interested to know what exactly do you mean i mean how does sport get involved with organized crime how do you have officials or people involved with the game getting involved in criminal activity, I mean how does that encounter actually evolve and take place because look as far as we know probably it starts as it was what could be seen as a pretty harmless interaction and and these things can actually you know roll into something that's far more serious.
2: I think in in policing and as in the IFL now is that uh, you're intelligence led and when you're intelligence led you understand what is happening around you and the environment you're working in. And organised crime, are very well organised, they do exactly the same. They're intelligence led so they'll do their homework on you as individuals, you as an organisation, how best to attack you. And certainly uh, they'll see your weaknesses and they'll, they'll attack you as an individual. They'll make approaches to you, whether it's in a coffee shop to have a coffee and to have a chat and to see how you react and how you perform On those so when you see something do something I always say and that means that if you're being approached by someone and you're in doubt tell someone about it and do something about it
0: so what's an example like something that should be seen as potentially suspicious like you know you might not think anything of it but then you realize oh hang on a bit of a, a light bulbs going off a little bit of an alarm bell this is something to actually think about you know, perhaps having ramifications.
2: Well, I think uh, as as a player, as, as an official, you you'll get uh, approached to ask about who do you, who do you think's going to uh, if if you're talking about AFL, who's playing the best, who you think's going to win the brown brownlow medal, uh, who's got the best chance, uh, whether whether who's injured, who's not injured, or it might be if you refer it back to an umpire, who's actually umpiring this game, how so what they're, what game they're uh, doing that week, uh, will they make an approach to that umpire or another umpire because they're going to try and corrupt a particular game.
0: Who's leading in world's best practice with regard to, to managing the, the
2: issue? I'd have to say the AFL are one of the world leaders, if not the world world leader.
0: Well, that uh, was not a pre-planned question, but well, there you I, go.
2: <laughs> I say that because I've looked around the world and see what, what's around the world, but the AFL are supported by Victoria Police, who set up an integrity and in sport unit. So uh, that that's really well, but. Uh, if, if you look at the way the AFL integrity system is set up, anyone involved in the I- AFL, whether you're a player or an umpire or a coach or a, a, um, a legal fi- official down to a volunteer, down to the media, anyone involved has to register with the AFL integrity. So they're aware and know everyone that's involved in the game. They can see what, what people are doing, <coughs> whether they're betting on the game or, or not. What we're looking at is a company, or we have Sports Radar, which is a company based in the UK. When I was in policing, I worked work with them and saw what they were doing. They're a company that trolls all the legal betting around the world, and we're able to put the names that are registered with the AFL into their system, and anyone puts a bet on, then they can tell us straight away. They also look at the d- odds that uh, whether uh, there's strange odds and or someone's put a massive bet on, on a particular uh, bet on a particular game, they can tell us straight away. We go to the betting company. The betting company has got to advise the AFL who put that bet on.
3: Jerry, obviously, um, gambling corruption. It's not just at the elite level. We've we've seen cases where grassroots is is just at risk. So. Can you give our listeners a bit of an insight into the education that's, that's going on at grassroots level for officials, coaches and players in this space?
2: Education is, is very important in, in life and uh, it's no different into the sports. Uh, in the state and, and the uh, state leagues and the AFL, there's a lot of education goes on in relation to integrity. However, I think there is a lot more work to be done to get down to community leagues. As young kids start to play the game in kick, to uh, coming through their junior ranks is talking about their values, behaviours and beliefs, their organisations, their clubs' values and at the same time educating them about the integrity of the game, the integrity of individuals and how they can be so easily corrupted.
1: So. so How do they groom and and find the people that they want to corrupt, especially from an official's point
2: of view? I think uh, when you look at, uh, if you take soccer, for instance, uh, uh, they will look at uh, around the world, who are the future kids that are going to be uh, coming up as soccer players. They will go and buy kids from a third world country, country, and they may buy them through their parents because their parents have got no money. They will pay for their education. They will pay for the family to be well looked after. Then when the kid uh, becomes of age and gets into uh, the senior levels of soccer making big money, then they'll make an approach to him to do cert- certain uh, um, behaviours that will uh, make, make them money. And when I talk about males, we're now also talking about women and that as well. So there's no difference between a man and the woman in, in this arena. Organised crime will make money off
1: either. And is it just Is it always money? Is it... Is there, a black a, market? is there black well, market? What's the breadth of the problem? The p- problem is it's about how organised crime
2: makes money. And that may well be that they'll trade with you in a different commodity. And one of those commodities might be drugs, could be uh, education, it could be a number of things. It's They identify your weaknesses and that, that's what they'll, they'll look, at, look after to su- support their, the environment.
1: So what, what might that look like? Um, and I, you've spoken about this in the past, An official, say an official's at an airport lounge uh, and they know us as AFL umpires. How might a, someone from an organised crime uh, approach or groom an official?
2: They'll just come up and have a conversation with you. You'll end up on the, on the plane sitting next to one another and then it just goes on from there and you'll make friends and all of a sudden uh, that person is asking you to do something that you know is illegal or is against your values, behaviours and beliefs. What are you going to do then? That's the question I throw back to you, is what are you going to do about it? Because that's where it falls over. Because a lot of people will say nothing, they get embarrassed by it, so they won't tell tell someone. To telling the integrity unit uh, and your superiors what the approach was made, what is happening, what is going on, so that, that can be investigated to make sure that there's nothing in it or can alert everyone that he, here's a, uh, a potential attack made on the organisation and, and an individual. We need to, to uh, be a lot, lot more open about it and educate others that are in the same environment.
1: It, it could be something as simple as Jerry. I mean, I umpired a game of football and a colleague asked me, it was a St Kilda game, and a colleague asked me who were the best players. And I almost said in a rhetoric response, well, you know I can't. Respond to that, but what are some of the implications of just innocuous sort of conversations that can be yeah. used mis, uh, used it for purposes that not meant to in terms of the information?
2: And loose lips uh, sink ships, as they say, and it's just about giving away something that might give someone an advantage, and that's why the AFL are really good at um, uh, on a match day two hours before a game starts, the rooms are actually locked down, and the, we know who's in the rooms because. Each club has got to get authority from the AFL that they're registered to say who's in the rooms who's got, pr- and they've got to be approved by the AFL Integrity Unit for everyone to be in the room, who's carrying mobile phones and what uh, drugs and that the medical staff have got in, in the room. So we know who's there. We've got control of those rooms up till the final siren.
3: And just on, certainly from my perspective and my colleagues, um, having had 15 years... Uh, in the game and, and Brownlow medal and, and betting is, is enormous in that. So, um, I mean, we've got to commend the AFL for their ongoing work in educating us to be aware of all the pitfalls in, in regards to some some pretty simple questions, be that from family or friends or, you know, people at your local coffee shop asking who best players were and things like that. So um, I think for us as a group, it's something we take really really seriously and and we protect um to the nth degree
0: just with even things like um you know tipping competitions at work or you know as umpires you know we we stay away from it and i'm just wondering same with the brownlow you just mentioned steve um that's locked down it's the field umpires on the day are in a a separate room no one else um involved on the day goes near Uh, you know we've got to get out of the area integrity again i'm just wondering there are a lot of little measures that are in place. People might think, "Oh, why? What's the problem with you know being involved in a tipping comp at work?" How does that play, Jerry, into the, the bigger picture of integrity and and the the big picture?
2: I think one of the things is you've got to keep the fun in the game, so you you've got to be careful, and you've got to, this is where you've got to balance. But certainly, uh, you as an umpire have got a, a better heads up on on who's playing well and the opportunity of. Uh, who's going to bit, get better. So if you start in a tipping competition, of course, a lot of people are going to follow your your tips. So uh, that's where you've got to be careful and you've got to be in a very safe environment to, to play in that tipping competition. It's not saying that you can't be involved, but you've got to be aware of your own uh, surroundings around you and that you're comfortable if you do in, get involved in a tipping competition.
0: Well, it just comes down to that whole... For me, integrity is just making sure that However, you're being viewed is is with honesty, and um, you know, personally, I wouldn't even think about going near Timbuktu.
1: <laughs> Are we ever going to win this battle? Is it a winnable contest or not? It's always a winnable comp- uh,
2: contest, but you've got to continue to keep winning, mm. because it's a bit like counterterrorism. That uh, you know, here in Australia, the bomb's never gone off because they've investigated, they've got on top of things. And they've gone and stopped the bomb from going off. But one day, someone's going to get through, and the bomb will go off. Hopefully, it never does. But you know, in balanced odds, it will. And the same in the integrity stakes. If you don't keep ahead of the game and keep working on it, then you're going to, going to lose. The AFL, uh, when Tony Keane and I came out on, uh, the AFL said to us, two investigators. That, that that's no more." The integrity department has grown because the game has grown. And in each AFL game, wherever it's played around the world, there is an integrity officer in, at every every game, and I think that's very important. Not only to make sure the safety of the public getting in from the uh, emergency management side, but also the integrity side, and uh, the AFL can hold the, hold the heads high on what they what they're doing in the integrity stakes.
1: So you're obviously a sports lover too, Jerry. But so when you watch sports. Do you watch them from the point of view of just watching the contest or are you looking for these anomalies that seem to happen? How do you see contests? Do you watch them with a, two uh, lenses or one?
2: Probably half, half a dozen because you're not only looking at the game but you're looking who's in the crowd. Hmm. What, what are the crowd doing? Because you see match fixers working in, in the crowd because they're, and particularly tennis really stand, stands out, where the match fixers are sitting there, they're texting. Court siding? Uh, Court siding yep. and that's a massive issue. Got to bear in mind that when, whenever there's a delay in something, and, and if you look at uh, televised games, there is a split second delay. Organised crime can beat you in that period of
1: time. And how do they do that? Can you take us through technically or as much Te- as you can how they do Technically,
2: that uh, those couple of seconds, they're, they're on the phone uh, texting back to uh, a country. Uh, without uh, picking on a, a, a certain individual countries, but picking on a country where they've got match fixes there, putting the bets on. That's how quick it is.
1: And do you, like, give us an indication of the size of these bets generally that we I know that they'll always be different, but what are we talking in terms of the, the value of some of these bets that you've seen?
2: Look, uh, from the integrity side, you're probably looking at uh, the soccer match fixing here in Victoria. There's probably two to ten million dollars made made out of that uh, at a minimum, if not more, uh, to people. You know, you're talking the millions of dollars of bets. It's not uh, a, a ten thousand dollar bet. You, you're talking the millions.
0: Jerry, I'm uh, I'm watching The Wire at the moment. I don't know if you're familiar with that series. Very good police series, and uh, I'm just wondering how much muscle go. You've just talked about surveillance and obviously you know watching people courtside and having to watch people, but how much muscle power um, from a detective or a police work perspective goes into the monitoring and the, you know, you mentioned the bugging with the southern stars. I mean, maybe this is all secret squir- squirrel and you can't tell me, but how much muscle power goes behind
2: it? Uh, there is a lot goes in behind it. There's a lot of how do you think outside the square because you challenge each area of the organisation that you're working with so if you're going back to policing. Uh, we had Piranha Task Force working on, on this in, investigation, the uh, Southern Stars. So we had it probably up to uh, 40 detectives. You had uh, people from our intelligence area working on it. Then you had uh, listening devices and in, intercepts, which are other people as again. So you could have anything up to 200 people working on one investigation for different areas.
3: So Jerry, grassroots level, a young official in any sport, if they suspect... Uh, something's amiss or something's up, who do they go to, what do they report and what avenues are available for them to ensure they can be supported through uh, a matter that might be uh, of of some concern?
2: Starting off by, I always say, see something, do something. So this person believes that uh, something is corrupt or not quite right, then they've got a duty of care to report it to their coach, to the uh, to their committee, the president of the club. If it needs to, they need to take it take it further. They need to make sure it's followed through. So it's, the onus is then on the officials to take it further up the tree, and that means to report it to uh, to their league. And if, if the league can't handle it, then report it further up the tree. If we use the AFL system, we've certainly built. Uh, in the AFL system, someone to report up from a community club all the way up to the AFL so the AFL uh, Integrity Department can investigate and will investigate an issue that has been reported that needs to be done. Otherwise, they'll make sure and oversee that the state or the league is investigating that matter.
3: And just on officials at any level, impartiality is really important from an integrity point of view to uh, conduct themselves um, throughout a match. But what's the responsibility uh, of administrators, coaches, if they see suspicious activity going on, do, do they have an obligation to report that as well?
2: Uh, we all, everyone involved in the game, and as you mentioned, uh, players and coaches and officials, all have a responsibility to report something that's going going on that they believe is corrupt or un- unethical, and it's against their values. So reporting it up, and becoming impartial uh, uh, from from that point on. So once you've reported it, you've got to stand back and allow the matter to be investigated to uh, ensure that they're impartial uh, rather than you trying to influence an investigation because sometimes what you see or uh, hear and believe is not quite the the right thing so it's very important like an investigator to keep an open mind to get all the facts together and let the facts talk talked uh and come up with the result of of that investigation because sometimes You hear a snippet of something and you think something has gone horribly wrong when in actual fact when you put the whole story together that it is completely different to what you think it was. But I would compliment someone that uh, believed that something was wrong and reported up and when we found there there was no, no case to answer, I'd compliment that meant that person far in advance of someone that didn't report and then we find out there's a bigger picture and there's a bigger issue because it's the simple little things that give you the greatest leads. And, uh, you know, uh, intelligence is about a jigsaw puzzle. It's about putting the pieces together. And when you look around, particularly in community football, one of the things we saw uh, in, in uh, a couple of community leagues, there was a coach who was uh, drug trafficking and they couldn't work out what was go- going on. Uh, because he corrupted a couple of players to get involved in drug trafficking. He then moved on to another club in another area uh, because it was getting too hot and started the same process again. But luckily someone stood up and said, this is not right, we need to do something about it and report it. And when we went back, we were able to say, here's a chain of, of uh, an audit trial where a bloke had corrupted three or four different sporting uh, sporting clubs and no one had done anything about it.
1: So Jerry, you've mentioned the laws. So what's some of the punitive measures or what were what some of the outcomes for people that are involved in corruption? What can they expect in terms of law enforcement?
2: I think going, going to jail. That's what's going to happen in, in the future. You get involved in corruption. Uh, the people that are involved in corruption uh, are, are got up to 10 years jail to serve. Uh, when we started off with the Southern Stars, even the legal and the courts didn't really understand and the coordinator out here got three years jail for his in, in, involvement uh in the sudden stars uh i think speaking to magistrates and judges uh, since then if they now realize how big the picture is they would have given this person the maximum 10 years jail.
1: Mm. and on the other side how dark and murky can it be on the organized crime side
2: well, the organised crime side—you uh, can end up dead. Simple as that. If uh, if you don't play the game that they want you to play, uh, they'll they'll kill you. That's because there's big dollars involved.
0: But come forward. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky situation, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it look, it, look, it is. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, if you do come forward, you need to be protected. Law enforcement, uh, the relationship with them. We'll make sure that you and your fa- family are protected. But does it get that serious all the time? No, it doesn't. But it's the simple little things that you've got to learn to stand up and be accounted.
0: And I think, look, the takeout from that really is: don't get involved to begin with, isn't it? It's you know, if you something doesn't feel right, um, make sure you have that conversation with the relevant person so that you're not even getting involved in this stuff.
2: E- exactly, and uh, you hit the nail right on the head.
3: And I think just also, Jerry, you touched on um, how important mentoring was for you coming through the force. Uh, learning the trade but I think also relevant to our topic is um, see something do something but there might be circumstances for young boys or girls out there who who are a bit uncertain as to what to do so uh, calling on more experienced uh, players coaches administrators or officials to have that support and to be able to guide through that's really important
2: I think uh, education and mentoring is so important. and I'm still involved with mentoring some young AFL players to uh, community people uh, and to uh, police members being mentoring them to be future leaders of, the, of uh, great organisations and, uh, and to be successful in, in, in life because not ev- everyone's had the opportunity to have great parents like I had, uh, but we need to be role models and uh, give our time to less, less disadvantaged people in the community.
0: Just to, This is a bit of trivia, but um, just to round things up. There's a story about your mum and the TAB. we got to hear it.
2: <laughs> well, certainly, uh, when I, when I uh, became, uh, as going in to become a detective superintendent, I had to do a, um, a psych test, and the psych test uh, involved it a whole day, and uh, I had to answer 1,200 questions, and they are either yes or no, uh, you had to choose one or the other. And one of the questions was, where did you get your values from, your mother or your father? I choose, chose my mother, but uh, I still fight today because I really got it from both of them, but you had to decide no. on one. But I was very lucky. We'd come from a small country town, a little town called Edenhope. Uh, we, we were a struggling family, but both my parents worked second and third jobs. Uh, one of my... Uh, first job my mother had was a part-time, she worked in the TAB because the TAB agent was uh, uh, divorced and he needed a, a, a woman to help him out and my mother got that job. He, he got promoted. Cut a long story short, she applied for the job and she became the first woman TAB agent in Victoria in the early
1: 60s.
0: And don't things just come full circle? Isn't that beautiful?
1: <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Um, it was great having you with us today, Jerry. The insight that you've given around not only the importance of the issue but the responsibility of officials from our level right down to grassroots around see something do something I think that's a real key message so we'd like to thank you for joining us in the umpires room and we look forward to seeing you at some stage through the year in the real umpires room no doubt we'll all have our mobile phones off and and we're all more informed now and so thank you for your time today
2: thank you for the opportunity
1: all right a reminder you can get involved In the conversation by sending us a question or comment through our facebook page the officials podcast we'll pick a question from our facebook page and answer it here when we can we didn't today but that's okay and while you're there please like and share our page and rate this podcast on the platform you download or stream your podcasts from